When we exchange the truth for a lie, the world becomes a very strange place around us. It's like walking through one of those house of mirrors where everything becomes warped. In fact, the entire universe, the fabric of the universe becomes warped and we can create these tiny little wormholes and jump to whatever wild and crazy decision that we would like. For instance, when a cop is found guilty on three charges of murder, the community that has been pushing for justice, when they finally get what they want, what do they say? Oh, this isn't justice. It just proves that the system is broken. It just proves that the system doesn't work. When we exchange the truth for a lie, when we exchange the truth for a lie and a cop shows up moments, seconds before a woman is about to be stabbed and makes a split second decision to save the woman's life, it's not hero saves young black woman's life moments from being stabbed. It's white racist cop kills black teenage girl. It's systemic racism. When we exchange the truth for a lie, when we see everything through one single lens, when we exchange the truth for a lie, all of a sudden it's normal for kids to grow up having knife fights. I mean, kids have been having knife fights for eons. I mean, come on, you, you and I probably, I mean, how many knife fights have have you been in? I know I can't even, I can't even count how many I've been in, but when you exchange the truth for a lie, all these things make sense. And what is the lie? Well, the lie is that this is all about racism when in fact, none of this is about racism. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to Lucas Scrobot show where we uncover purpose, pursue the truth and own the future. Thanks for being with me on the show today. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the Derek Chauvin trial. We're going to be talking about the Micaiah Bryant murder, and we're going to be talking about what we should do about the craziness that's happening right now in America. You know, I honestly, I have resisted uh, talking about this for some time now. I know last year we spent a quite, a, quite a bit of time on it, but I had a number of people reach out asking if I would do an episode on this. The reason that I didn't want to do another episode on uh, the George Floyd, um, Derek Chauvin case, and everything that's happening right now in America with this uh, narrative it is partly because I really do believe that the more that we talk about it, the more that we think that it's real, the more that it exists. And part of me doesn't want to give any more oxygen to this than needs to have. But the other part of me knows that we need to have clear, logical, sound, cohesive arguments to be able to defend ourselves against these narratives that are coming against us. And as I said, this is all a byproduct of exchanging what is true for a lie. And now, we're going to be looking in a little bit of depth at some of these cases, um, but but at the core of it, the argument that is being made from the, the critical race theory side is that this is all about systemic racism. It's all about racism. There's this huge gap in America, in American culture, that the whole system is corrupt and is, is pitted against black people and people of color. This is the narrative. And now, what I'm saying is that is actually not true. And that is actually not even the goal of their agenda. 
their agenda is, is, is not how can we see equality and equity, which is the equality of outcome in America, even as bad as equality of outcome really is when you, when you look at the fundamentals of it as it comes from socialism and Marxism and postmodernism. And the effects of it is devastating on a community and on a country. The goal is not, in my opinion, is not to see better policing. The goal and this explicit and express goal is to do away with police altogether. They want to do away with the political system in America altogether. They want an entirely new system of, of socialism, of communism in America and in the world. And we have, we have discussed this many times on the show about uh, socialism, communism, postmodernism, what it is doing, what it has done over the last hundred years, hundreds of million of people dead, if not more, through the effects of socialist policies being enforced in USSR and China and uh, CCP, uh, Vietnam, uh, Cambodia, um, uh, all across the globe, Cuba. We, we do not have to look far to know what is the effects of these policies. They hurt and they harm people. So, so now on to the first case of Derek Chauvin. He was found guilty this week of all three murder charges. And, and this might be a little confusing to some, but he was charged with three different kinds of murders. First, it was second degree murder. Now, second degree murder is defined as an intentional murder with malice forethought, but is not premeditated or planned. So in second degree murder, it is Derek Chauvin shows up on the scene and he has malice and intent in his heart, and he intentionally is seeking to kill George Floyd. That when George Floyd was in the car yelling, saying, put me on the ground, put me on the ground, put me on the ground, that Derek Chauvin, somewhere in that, had an intentional forethought of malice and anger and hatred towards George Floyd with the intent to kill him. Now, in the, the American system versus many other legal judicial systems in the world, you are innocent until proven guilty, and you have to be proven guilty beyond all reasonable doubt, which means if I have a reasonable doubt on this, let's say just secondary murder, we're going to get onto third degree murder and, and manslaughter charges, but if I have a reasonable doubt right here saying that, okay, I don't know if he intentionally meant to kill George Floyd in malice. I don't know if it was actually a forethought. It wasn't premeditated or planned, but when he showed up, I don't know if he actually was like, I'm going to kill this person and I'm going to intentionally just put him, put his lights out. If I have a reasonable doubt there, then I cannot charge him. The jury should not charge him with second degree murder. They should say, mm, we have reasonable doubt that there was an actual intent here. Okay, third degree murder. Third degree murder is defined in the state of Minnesota as Minnesota law originally defined third degree murder solely as a depraved heart murder, which is without intent to affect the death of any person causing the death of another by perpetuating an act imminently dangerous to others and evincing a deprived mind without regard for human life. 
An example of a third degree murder would be like standing over an overpass on a freeway and chucking a brick onto the passing cars. You're not trying to kill someone. You just have a depraved heart, a depraved mind, and you accidentally, on purpose, I mean, you accidentally kill someone. In the in the depravity of you throwing bricks onto a freeway, which is dangerous to other people, you kill someone. Or if you're just sh recklessly shooting into a crowd, uh, that would be third-degree murder. You're not trying to murder a specific individual, but you're committing an act from a depraved heart. So if you look at the difference between second-degree and, and third-degree murder, second-degree mur murder says he intentionally sought to murder him. And third-degree murder is saying that it was not intentional, but it was more of a depraved heart. So there seems to be contradictions here. Also, secondary murder can be defined as when you're in the midst of committing a felony here, you're in the midst of committing a felony, and in that midst of committing a felony, you accidentally kill someone. That is also a definition of secondary degree murder. And so the argument is that Chauvin was in the midst of committing a felony by assaulting George Floyd, which I don't know how that is, but that's the argument. And in that there's a murder. So those are the, the two charges. The third charge was manslaughter, which is an unlawful killing that doesn't involve malice or forethought, intent to seriously harm or kill, or extreme reckless disregard for life. The absence of malice, a forethought, means that manslaughter involves less moral blame then either the first or second degree murder, or in this case, even third degree murder. So what, of course, is somewhat confusing because these are all contradictory, right? In, in the, the third degree murder, it's, well, he's just in a base mind. He wasn't actually intending to kill him. He was just trying to hurt someone. And in the event, he killed George Floyd. There is second degree murder, which is he intended to. He had forethought in it. And then there's also manslaughter, which is reckless. So he got all three of these counts with the jury only deliberating for 10 hours, which is very strange as there's a lot of contradictory evidence, which you may or may not have heard that. But there was a lot of contradictory evidence in this case that had to be debated of whether or not Derek Chauvin was guilty or not guilty, would actually intended to kill George Floyd. Some of the evidence was that his knee was not on the neck of George Floyd, despite of what you may have thought you saw on a video, but it was on his back. Another fact is that his trachea was not damaged. His arteries going to his, the blood supply to his neck was not damaged, which is two ways that you strangle someone is by cutting off their air supply or cutting off the blood supply to the brain. Third, there was no damage to the lungs, so he did not die from asphyxiation. Rather, his heart failed him. Now, at the same time, George Floyd had three times the level of lethal fentanyl in his system. Three times a deadly dose. Here's, here's the corner talking about why George Floyd died in the case. In my opinion, the physiology of what was going on with Mr. Floyd on the evening of May 25th is you've already seen the photographs of his coronary arteries so that you know, you know he had very severe underlying heart disease. 
Um, I don't know that we specifically got to it, counselor, but Mr. Floyd also had what we call hypertensive heart disease, meaning his heart weighed more than it should. Um, so he has a heart that already needs more oxygen than a normal heart by virtue of its size, and it's limited in its ability to step up to provide more oxygen when there's demand because of the narrowing of his coronary arteries. Now, in the context of an altercation with other people that involves things like physical restraint, that involves things like being um, held to the ground, that involves things like the pain that you would incur from having your, you know, your cheek up against the asphalt, an abrasion on your shoulder, those events are going to cause stress hormones to pour out into your body, specifically things like adrenaline. And what that adrenaline is going to do is it's going to ask your heart to beat faster it's going to ask your body for more oxygen so that you can get through that altercation. And in my opinion, the, the law enforcement subdual restraint and the neck compression was just more than Mr. Floyd could take by virtue of that, those heart conditions. So what I clarified for the U.S. Attorney and the Federal Bureau of Investigation was my opinion as to what happened to Mr. Floyd, and that is he experienced a cardiopulmonary arrest in the context of the law enforcement subdual restraint and neck compression. It was the stress of that interaction that tipped him over the edge, given his underlying heart disease and his toxicological status. So here, what I hear Dr. Andrew Baker, the coroner, saying is that he had an enlarged heart. He had restricted arteries in his heart. He was unhealthy. He had three times the, the lethal dose of fentanyl in his system. And the trauma of being arrested at that moment, the, the knee on his back was too much for him to take. Now, remember, we have to see, was he guilty beyond all reasonable doubt for second degree and third degree murder? Was there intent to kill him? Was this an act where he was actually just dangerously and recklessly putting someone's life in danger. Was there intent? I think there's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say that that's true without a reasonable doubt. Here's another clip from Dr. Andrew Baker. Do you recall describing the level of fentanyl as a fatal level of fentanyl? I recall describing it in other circumstances. It would be a fatal level, yes, in other circumstances. And you all do, would you agree that one of the causes of the pulmonary edema that you communicated to the county attorneys was also fentanyl? Fentanyl can certainly be a cause of pulmonary edema. Um, as I indicated earlier in previous questioning, it's confounded by the fact that Mr. Floyd had quite a bit of CPR. And so I find the pulmonary edema much less specific um, given, given that he survived and made it to the hospital for a period of time. Do you recall telling the county attorney's office that had you found Mr. Floyd under different circumstances, uh, you would have determined this to be a fentanyl overdose? So I don't recall specifically what I told the county attorney, but it almost certainly went something like this. Had Mr. Floyd been home alone in his locked residence with no evidence of trauma, and the only autopsy finding was that fentanyl level, then yes, I would certify his death as due to fentanyl toxicity. Again, interpretation of dr drug concentrations is very context-dependent. So here the coroner is saying, okay, we know that he had fentanyl in his system. We know that's deadly. We know that in other cases, he, people ha have died from this level of toxicity. He also says, which I think is something fair to note, that it's very 
relative based on the size of the person and their situation, whether a dosage is going to kill someone or not. But it did play a role. And remember, we're asking these questions and was there some reasonable doubt for second degree and third degree murder in this case? Was Derek Chauvin looking and seeking to actually kill George Floyd? Was it a murder in that case or was it manslaughter? Should have just he just gotten off of George Floyd a little bit earlier when he stopped breathing. So this is very important to note here that racism was not brought up at the trial. This isn't a a crime of racism. This isn't a quote unquote hate crime. Derek Chauvin didn't show up and say, hey, look, there's a black guy. I think I'm going to kill him. None of that is being argued and none of that happened. But yet the narrative that is being pushed to you and the narrative that's being pushed to me is that this is all about race, that this was a racial crime. This is a racist crime. It's a racist cop. It's a systematic racism. And that because he was black, because Derek is white, you know, we're just, we're just going to label it because it fits our narrative. It fits our narrative. Another thing you have to ask yourself, if you were sitting as a juror on that trial, what would you be thinking? You've, you're not sequestered. You've, you've seen everything that happened last summer. You've seen cities burn. You've seen people die in these protests from other protesters. You've seen billions of dollars of people's lives and businesses and buildings destroyed, loss of life. And you know, and you've you've heard Maxine Waters. You know what the president and the vice president believe. You've heard the threats that if Derek Chauvin is found innocent on any of these counts, and he only gets manslaughter, well, we're going to ride in the streets. You know, we're going to, we're going to, become even more confrontational and more violent. What would you be thinking if you were sitting in that jury box? I would be thinking about my family. I'd be wondering, hmm, is it worth it? Is it worth it to have an angry mob come to my house and possibly take my life or take my family's life? Would I have to go into witness protection over this? Was it a fair trial? Did he get a fair trial? result? Was it an unbiased jury? Did they actually look at all the evidence and deliberate and say, did he intend without a reasonable doubt to actually kill George Floyd on that day? Was it, did, did he actually suck the life out of him? Of course, the coroner here is saying that it was under the circumstances and the trauma and the stress that pushed his heart over the edge. But there are many times where they use the same same tactic, the same restraint, and people don't die. But we're going to get into a story where someone else did die using this same tactic and the same restraint that you probably haven't heard of. But before we get to that, I, I want to look at what the uh, esteemed Alexandra Ortezia Cortez, AOC, had to say, because she weighed in a lot about this, this verdict. And I, fo- I found it so I found it so fitting. I, I thought what she had to say was actually spot on because when you, when you tr- are trading what is true for a lie, her words are the only logical conclusion. 
when you believe that everything's systemically racist, when you believe that you need to actually tear down the entire system and throw away the entire Declaration of Independence and start a whole new world, a whole new America, and that the whole thing is founded on the 1916 Project and racism and systemic racism, and the whole thing is set up to oppress people of color. If you believe that, then of course you're going to say everything that she said. Here's AOC. This isn't justice. It's not justice. And I'll explain to you why it's not justice. It's not justice because justice is George Floyd going home tonight to be with his family. I, you know what? I agree. I would, I would love and he would love George Floyd to still be alive, even though he was high on fentanyl, even though he spent nine cents in prison, even though he held a gun to a pregnant woman's stomach as they raided and robbed her house. Violent criminal. I still wish that he was alive and had the ability to go home to his family tonight. Yes. In, in, in a perfectly redeemed world, that would be the case. But that is not the world that you and I live in. We live in a broken and a fallen world. Therefore, what is justice? Justice is each person getting exactly what you or him or her and I deserve. That's justice. I do good. I get good. I do bad. I get bad. That is a just system. Justice is blind. Everyone gets equal treatment. That is justice. So a criminal gets arrested, resists arrest is high on drugs, and maybe the cop used too much restraint, as the jury found. And the, sadly, George Floyd lost his life, and now Derek Chauvin is going to jail. That is, that is the, the most amount of justice that we can have on this side of time, on this side of history, where there's, where there's just laws and where people are being prosecuted for their crimes. Here's the second clip of AOC. So, so remember, that's justice. Justice is getting what you and I deserve. Is that what we really want? I, I, I think we do want that. We want a just system. But if we actually drill down a little further and say, what do you actually deserve based on your actions? And what do I actually deserve based on my actions? And it's not pretty. I don't deserve very much, much based on my actions, and I bet you have done some things that are pretty shady in your past as well. And so there's a level of grace that we're also looking for. When we get caught up in the this, this social justice and equality of outcome, it's very, it's very thin ice. But what we're really searching for, the real language that we're searching for is we want to give grace to people and we want to help and empower people become who they are supposed to be. But that doesn't come through enabling. Here's another clip by AOC. So no, this verdict is not justice. Frankly, I don't even think we call it full accountability because there are multiple officers that were there wasn't just just Derek Chauvin and I also don't want this moment to be framed as this system working working because it's not working 
And see, here and I think AOC and I would agree, maybe she wouldn't agree with what I'm about to say, but we would agree a little bit. And that, yeah, I don't know if the system actually worked right now. It looked more like mob rule. It looked like that there was a, a, a fence around the courtroom with snipers on top of the roof and an, a mob of people outside. And until the jury went into uh, deliberations and was sequestered, they knew what was going on. They knew the consequences. So was this a fair and just trial or was it a show trial? Or was it mob rule? Here's another clip. The fact that millions of people had to march for George Floyd to be treated as equal and human in an unjust system. That's not justice. She makes a great point. It's the fact that millions of people had to march, that millions of people had to march to pressure the court, to pressure the jury. There was a, 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 a standby jury member a replacement jury member, they, they sit and they watch the whole trial in case something happens to one of the jurors and then they get replaced in. She said that she really didn't want to be on it because she was afraid of what would happen to her family if she had found Derek Chauvin innocent of any of the crimes and any of the three charges. Could you honestly say that you could look at the facts with a clear mind after only 10 hours of deliberation where there's many conflicting Evidence points on this case? I don't think so. And I think that, so in that way, I can say, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe it wasn't a fair trial. Maybe the system didn't work. Maybe this was just mob rule. But this is, this is the, the, the twilight zone of it all. When you, when you trade the truth and you replace it with a lie, you get what you want. You get justice. You get the ruling that you want. And what do you have to say? Well, because you're feeling, well, oh, this actually doesn't feel like it's enough. I don't feel the sense of, I didn't feel the way that I thought I would feel. Therefore, it's not justice. We need more. We, we, a pound of flesh isn't too much. We're going to burn the whole city down. And that's what's being said. Here's, here's the third clip, which transitions into this, this next story that I want to talk about. Another clip by AOC. If George Floyd were, in, were anybody else, if he were another race, if you were another gender, etc. Would this even be a debate? What she's saying is if George Floyd was another color, another race, another gender, it wouldn't be a debate. We wouldn't have to riot in the streets and he would get real justice. This is what she's saying. But in fact, there is another person that nearly has the exact same exact same cage as George Floyd, and his name is Tony Timpa. You probably haven't heard about Tony Timpa. Tony Timpa had a knee to his back for 14 minutes. He was high on cocaine. He was a schizophrenic that was off of his drugs. He, he, he was outside a porn shop having a, a mental breakdown. The police were called. I believe he even asked for the police to come. He was the security guard already put him in cuffs. He's, he's losing his mind, all, high on cocaine, off his schizophrenia medication. The cops put him on the ground and they put his knee, they put their knee on the back. And in 14 minutes, he dies. 
you didn't hear about that. I didn't hear about that. But to AOC's point, if this was a person by any other race, any other gender, any other color, like Tony Timpa, a white man in Texas, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We wouldn't be having this conversation because the, the police officers in that case were found innocent. There was no riots. No one cared. And, and this is the point. When we exchange the truth for lie, when everything is just about race, everything is just about color, and the only thing that we can see is that narrative, then anything that happens, and, and this, this, is, this is what they teach in critical race theory. This is what they teach to be anti-racist. And just, you know, I'm a super anti-racist, so uh, I'm okay. But anti-racism teaches, it's not did racism happen in this instance, in this interaction. It's how did racism happen in this interaction? When you view the world through that lens, you will always get, you will always get an outcome where you are the victim where you are the victim, where your people, your narrative, everything is the victim, where I am the victim as a white Polak. That I am a victim as a male because guess what? I live longer, I live, I live shorter than an average female. And therefore, there's, you know, there's female privilege. Female live longer than male. So there's female privilege. So does that make me a victim? No, that's just called natural advantage. That just calls being born into the world. That is life. Tony Timpa, the same story, died in the same way, high on drugs, no racial crime, just like there was, it wasn't a racial crime with George Floyd. But the media turned it into one. The president of the United States, the vice president of the United States, they turned it into one because it served their agenda. Because it serves their agenda to bring a sweeping reform to the system of America. Now, the system of America isn't perfect, but I have lived in many places around the globe, and I can say that it's, it's probably better than most other systems that I've been in. It's probably more equitable, more fair. That leads us to the next case, the next story of today with Micaiah Bryant. Micaiah Bryant is a, a 16-year-old girl that was killed by a police officer just a few hours after the Derek Chauvin uh, jury came out and announced that they found him guilty on all three counts. And, and the story goes, someone they don't know who, there are some people that say that it was actually Micaiah who called the cops. Micaiah is a foster child, grew up in a broken home, has gone through the foster system. We, we see a video where the police shows up and Micaiah comes out of the house. There's a series of girls around. Micaiah charges one of the girls. The police begins to intervene. Micaiah gets off that one girl and moves on to a second girl, pulls a knife, and is about to be shot. Here is the actual video if you are watching online. If not, I'm going to give a play-by-play -play as we watch this. So here it is. This is the view from across the street. There's a couple girls standing in the parking lot, the one in pink whose life is saved. Police officer shows up. He steps out of the car. He's walking towards the group of girls. At this point, McKay had 
charges one of the girls. She falls to the ground. The kid turns on the girl in pink with a knife, begins to stab, and is shot. From the time that the police officer stepped out of his car to the time that the, the shots were fired was 10 seconds. 10 seconds. The, the argument is, well, why didn't this police officer de-escalate the situation? Why didn't the police officer, you know, grab her, stop her? This happened in such a, a blink of an eye. And you, you can see the footage for yourself online. You can see that she's in the process of stabbing the young woman in pink. And this police officer, within a hair second, makes a decision to save someone's life. He doesn't know who's attacking who. He doesn't know whether Micaiah has called the police. He doesn't even know who Micaiah is. All he sees is girls fighting. Someone pulls a knife and begins to attack one woman and then turns on a, a second woman and is about to stab her. And it, the story is not white police officer saves black woman from being stabbed. It is white police officer kills innocent 16-year-old girl. It is tragic. Clearly, Micaiah is a child. She's 16 years old. Growing up in the foster system, probably a broken home, lots of hurt. Clearly, a low-income area of town, as many other commentators have noted. But as I said, when you exchange the truth for a lie, and the only thing you can see through, the only narrative you have, because your narrative carries an agenda, is that this is a racial crime. This is systemic racism. See? We need to, we need to disband the police. All police are bad. If you view the world through that lens, then anything that happens... Even when someone's life is being saved, it will come across as, through your lens, as racism. But it's not a racial crime. Just as George Floyd wasn't a racial crime, just as Tony Timpa wasn't a racial crime. The issue is not race. The issue is crime. The issue is not race. The issue is drugs. The issue is not race. The issue is the depravity of our own hearts. The issue is not systemic racism, at least not in America. There, there are places in the world where there's actually codified, depending on what nationality you are from, it depends on how much you can get paid. Many places like that across the world, there are actually places with two codified sets of laws depending on your nationality and your background. There are actual systems like that in the world. America is not one of them. But when you believe it, and, and why would you believe it? Why would somebody even push that and say that? Because behind it is an agenda that comes from the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt School was a, a whole bunch of, of socialists who were studying, and Marxists who were studying, why did, did socialism fail? Why did capitalism fail? come forth and they came to America and they studied in America and they said, ah, see what it is? This capitalistic system is actually oppressing you. You just don't know it. All this freedom that you have, ah, it's not freedom. It's actually slavery. You're enslaved. All this freedom that you have, it's, yeah, you're actually enslaved. And through that, they developed this critical race theory and they said, okay, instead of pitting classes against one another, 
the bourgeoisie and the proletariat, the upper class and the lower class. Because America, it's mostly middle class. Instead of doing that, we need to pit races against one another, genders against one another, ethnicities against one another. And if we can do that, then we can divide the country. And if we can divide the country, we can weaken the country, and then we can take over America without even having a war. This is well documented. And this is AOC. She's a social, uh, a, a de social democrat, a socialist, who wants to see socialist agendas put forth in America. She wants to see full-blown reform. It is not a secret. It is not a conspiracy. It is something that they're proud to talk about, progressivism. So wh what, is, what, is, what are we to do? You know, it, it gets so crazy when we're, we're trading what is true for a lie that we begin to say things that are just, you, you think that you'd, that would have to be a joke. Here's, here's a clip, a clip of Brittany Cooper, who is an assistant professor at Rutger University. Here she is on MSNBC saying that, well, this is just a, a common neighborhood brawl. The argument for our movements has never been that black people have to be perfect in order for them to deserve dignity, for us to have good policing, for us to be viewed with humanity, for cops to take a breath before they literally get out of the car guns blazing. So that's the first point, right? That this is never what the argument for the movement for black lives has been, is that you just get to kill black people, particularly when they're not being perfect. I think about how perfect, as Reverend Sharpton just said, the prosecution had to to be in order to get the conviction for George Floyd. It had to be impeccable. They had to leave no stone unturned. And if that is the standard, then no black person is really truly gonna be safe if we cannot be having a bad day, if we cannot defend ourselves and we think we are gonna get jumped, if we call the cops and they can't show up and tell who the victim is and who the perpetrators are, and they can't use their training to adjudicate regular old everyday community conflict. Regular old everyday community conflict. Yeah, when I was growing up, regular old community conflict was pulling a knife and trying to shiv someone in your front yard. That's not regular old community conflict. This is broken homes, broken culture. This is kids growing up in the foster care system without a mom, without a dad. And statistics show that if you're growing up without moms and dads in your life, you're going to have a broken family. You're going to have a broken home. You're going to have a broken upbringing. The problem is not racist. It's not racial identities. The problem is fatherlessness, broken families, crime, morality. These are the problems. Another, another thing that, that was said in that clip there by Brittany was that, well, you know, if you have a bad day, you know, you're going to get, you know, we, we never say that it's about black people having to be perfect. It's, we just, you know, want to make sure that if someone's having a bad day, they're not going to get killed by a cop. When was the last time that you had a bad day and pulled a knife on someone? When was the last time that you had a bad day and assaulted a police officer? Is that what you do in a bad day? No, that's what criminals do in bad days. That's what criminals do. I know a lot of people, a lot of people, who are black. And guess what? They're not assaulting police officers. 
They're not on drugs. It has nothing to do with the melanin in their skin. It has to do with the values and the morality that they adopt and they choose to live by. The cultural norms that they choose to uphold in their life. It has to do with whether or not they're growing up in a broken family or not. Again, something that communism and socialism push. Communism, socialism, and BLM push to undermine the normative family, to undermine the mom and the dad, to raise people in a village. The USSR, communism, China, they all pushed this. Why? Because then if you can do away with the family, you can do away with private property. If you can do away with private property, you can do away with a passing on of wealth. And then you make people reliant on the government. And they, how did they do this in the USSR? They gave money to single moms and encouraged people to get divorces and not remain married. So that there was no covalent bond within their marriage of financial pressure to force people to stay together. Because if you can stay together in your marriage and you can work through your problems, not only will you be a better person, but your kids will grow up with a better life. Studies show that in America, in America, if you graduate high school, wait till you're 21 or 22 to get married and have a kid and get a stable job, that you will get out of poverty, regardless of the color of your skin. 97% of people who do that escape poverty. Four things. High school, marriage, baby, job. Stay married. You'll escape poverty. Four simple values that you can adopt in your life. But instead, it's, well, we're saying that black people have to be perfect. No one's saying that. No one's saying that. But the fact that you would equate being perfect with, with saying, well, you know, poor, and, and poor, poor Micaiah Bryant. Obviously, broken and hurting. But does that mean that she should just be let go to stab the other girl? I don't think so. But when you exchange what is true with a lie, then all of this begins to make sense. Here's, here's a tweet from Breed Newsom. She said, teenagers have been having fights, including fights involving knives for eons. We do not need police to address these situations by showing up to the scene and using a weapon against one of the teenagers. You all need help. I mean that sincerely. Guys, we've been having, teenagers have been having fights for eons. I mean, if you want to hear, if you, if you want to hear something that's racist, that's racist. It's, 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 it's absurd to Hold on to this idea that, ah, oh, guys, you know, kids, kids these days all over the world, they're just having fights. They're just barbaric, just barbaric kids just stabbing one another. Like, why aren't we calling our culture to a higher level? Why aren't we calling our communities to say, hey, maybe, maybe you shouldn't be having fights, and including knives and stabbing people? But that's not the conversation that people want to have, is it? Finally, what do we do about it? Here is the one and only Morgan Freeman giving his two cents 
on the whole situation. So can we can I go back to because I, I, I thought what you said was fascinating because you called it bull when you said people can't, you know, pull themselves up. Do you think that race plays a part in wealth dis distribution or either a mindset that you can't Today? or cannot? Yeah. No, you don't. No, I don't. I don't. Hey, you and I, we're proof. Why would race have anything to do with it? Stick you, put your mind to what you want to do and go for that. Uh, it's kind of like religion to me. It's a good excuse for not getting there. Yeah. You know, I said, it's probably get me in trouble, but I said to some of my colleagues recently, so I know that it's an issue, but I've been, it seems like every single day on television I'm talking about race and it's because of the news cycle, it's in the news, but I'm so, sometimes I get so tired of talking about it, I want to... I want to just go, this is over, can we move on? And, and, and if you talk about it, it exists. Right. Yeah. It's not like it exists and we refuse to talk about it, but making it a bigger issue than it needs to be is the problem we have. Morgan Freeman is so right. Making it a bigger issue than it needs to be. And since Obama became president, it has become a bigger issue than it needs to be, which is ironic. Because Obama was a black man. America elected a black man to become president two times. A racist, systemic nation that's hate black people, that says black people can never be anything, that's seeking to oppress black people, elected a black president twice. Twice. And since then, a narrative has been pushed. A narrative has been woven to say America is racist. America is evil. America is is a horrible place to live, and it's, it's all racist. And the truth and the lie, the truth is that it's not. Here is an, a final clip by Morgan Freeman. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you do with yours? What, which month is White History Month? <laughs> no, well, no, 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 come on, tell me. Well, uh, I'm Jewish. Okay, which I'm month is Jewish History Month? No, there isn't one. Oh, oh, why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no, no. I, I, right. I, I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. This is the thing. <laughs> so right. If we can look at each other as individuals, if we can stop tagging on white and black, if we can stop talking about, this is why I didn't want to do this show. This is why I didn't want to talk about this topic. But I felt pressed to, one, because a lot of people asked, and two, because the, the important thing that I'm trying to talk about here is not about race. It's saying that, this, that none of this is about race. It's about a very different agenda, and AOC even said it. She even said, you know, this isn't justice. It's not justice until we overhaul the entire system. And she went on to say how, you know, it's a completely different, completely different worldview, really, when, when you look at it. It's a system that says, the government is responsible for giving you education. The government is responsible for giving you housing. The government is responsible for giving you medical. The government is responsible for giving you food. The government is your daddy. 
that is what the that is what the ideology is saying that this movement is pushing. It's not about racism. It's not about racial equality. It's about completely wiping away the current and existing system to make the government big and bigger and bigger and more powerful so that you are then reliant on the government so that the government comes in and takes care of all your needs. But what I believe is that you and I are responsible for taking care of our housing and our medical. You and I are responsible for educating our children, not the government. I don't want the government educating my children. And this is, we, we touch on this, the, the bounds and domains of society and the roles of different, different spheres of society. What role does the family have? What role does the government have? What role does economics and business have? What role does technology and, and universities have? Or the religious system have? How does that all fit together in their world? In the world where they're saying they're pushing a racial narrative, not because of racial things that are happening, but because they have a secondary outcome and they see it as a means to an end. Just as in, in socialism, they saw the bourgeoisie versus the proletariat as a means to the end. And it was this progressive eating of the next, of the next, of the next. They'd overthrow the, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat would come into power and then they'd overthrow those people who came into power. It's this continual cycle searching for this utopia that doesn't exist on earth and will not exist in this broken world. It won't. Not in, and not in man's own strength. And the government certainly is not going to create it. So, so please, if, if, if this is something that is being spoken about in your community and you're looking for some ammunition to have a, a rational conversation around these things, please have a conversation about this with a friend. Talk about this with your friends, with your communities, because that is how we will grow. That is how we will grow in our relationships. That is how we'll strengthen our critical thinking. That is how we will dissipate this fear of cancel culture that's happening all across the world. I get it all the time. L Lucas, you can't say that. You, you, you can't say that. I'm like, well, wh why can't I? Why can't I say, why can't we have a rational conversation? But it's when we self-censor, that self-censoring leads to more and more and more fear. And the way to overcome it, the way to break it, is by making it normal to disagree with people in a kind and respectful and thoughtful way. So take this episode and disagree with someone or find some people that you agree with and have a conversation about it. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver Loom, part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can weave our destiny and own our future. Well, today's quote comes from one and only George Orwell from his book, 1984. He said, war is peace, freedom is slavery, ignorance is strength. 1984 is, of course, this story by George Orwell of this dystopian society 
where where the the ministries of truth and the ministries of love and peace and plenty is all twisted and and deprived where where the ministry of truth is really the, the ministry of lies where the ministry of peace is really the ministry of war where the ministry of of plenty is really the ministry of lack everything is backwards all the truths have been exchanged with lies in this dystopia brilliant novel what George Orwell is saying is that this is what the, the double talk is, is that when you flip the definitions of words, like when you, when you flip and say that a police officer who saved a woman's life in a tragic, you know, it's not, a, it's not the ideal outcome, but saved a woman's life who was about to be stabbed. Not, a, not an ideal outcome. Ideal, of course, would be that everyone was alive. But he made the right decision. When we change it and say that, well, he's a villain. He's a criminal. He's hateful. He's a racist. This is just, just proof of the brutality of the police system, how all cops are bad. Rather than saying, wow, someone called the cops and someone was about to get stabbed and he saved someone. When we live in that dystopia, of double talk where yes is no and no is yes and up is down and down is up. The only thing that we have left, the only thing that we have left is to speak truth, is to search for the truth, is to live the truth. That's why we say we're seeking to pursue the truth, to discern the truth, but then we have to live it out because all of our searching without the living It's worthless. Of knowing without taking action upon that in our life, it's worthless. So go out this week and live out the truth. Speak the truth to people in love. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. We touched on that word earlier in the episode, grace. That's really what what we mean by social justice or maybe we're really looking for mercy. We want to have mercy on people to give people what they don't deserve, to have mercy on people, and then grace, to lift people up out of their situation. So, you know, mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. So mercy would be there's someone who deserves death, but instead you're saying, no, I'm not going to give you death. I'm not going to give you what you deserve in this situation. Grace is saying, you don't deserve me giving you anything. I'm going to give you a hand and I'll lift you up. And that is yours and my's ability to do, our ability to act on that. And that is living out truth. Being the agents of, I don't want to say agents of change, but being the, being the agents of truth in our own life, having agency in our own life, and having the courage to stand up, not to yell, not to shout, not to make a big show of it, but to say, I, I disagree. And people will be shocked that you disagree. So that's all. Thanks for listening. Please, if you enjoy this show, we are an independent show. The way that we survive is by people like you, (laughs) supported by listeners like you. So if you like to support the show, you can do that by either listening on the Breeze app and streaming Satoshis as you listen, or you can give by 
behind my book, Anchored the Discipline to Stop Drifting. I wrote this book at a time of my life where everything seemed to be working against me. All my, my metrics and algorithms had failed. And so I wrote this as a manifesto to myself. Thanks for being with me here today. That's all for the episode. Go out this week and own your future.